Amen. You may be seated. Person next to you and say, hey, it's a good thing you are not what you eat. Right? Some of you would be turkeys. Some of you would be tamales. I know everybody does a little something different, but um, we're so glad that you're here. You made it. How many of you have already clicked in the Christmas music? A couple of you. Some of you are ashamed to announce it, but you've been doing it since July. So you just don't want to raise your hand, right? Well, we did it. We went to go see some friends in the Houston area, and we put in the top 100 Christmas songs, and we were going around and doing all that. So here, let's just take a moment. You can talk to me. What's some of your favorite Christmas songs? Little Drummer Boy what? Oh, Holy Night. Mary, did you know? That's a good one. I'll sing that one later for you guys. (laughs) Somebody said, please, no. What else? Any others? No? Y'all are ashamed of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, some of you? Like, this is church, we can't say it. Our, our personal favorite, I think, at our house is, all I want for Christmas is a hippopotamus. Y'all know that one? If you don't, go find that one. That one's good. So, you know that a hippopotamus isn't going to hurt you because it doesn't eat meat, you know? So, it's good. It's good stuff. So, anyway, hey, we're going to start a series called Carols. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the carols that maybe you've sung and you've heard. And uh, what the meaning is behind them, the theology, the scripture behind that stuff. And so over the next few weeks, hopefully, as we open up the word together and sing some of these songs, that will have a deeper meaning for you and have more value over the Christmas season. So this morning, our song, our carol is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now this is a song that's extremely old. It's over 1,200 years old. It was actually originally written in Latin, and it was one of the O antiphons. And um, it was written in such a way that the, the monks in the, in the monasteries, they would sing this And this was one of eight songs that they would sing in preparation for in the last eight days leading up to Christmas. And so they'd have different songs that they would sing. And all of those songs were called the O Antiphons. They started with O somewhere in there. And um, that was a part of the whole beginning of the reflection of the advent of the coming of the Christmas season. And then there in about 1850, um, someone found some Latin copies of this and they rewrote it and uh, made it available to us that don't read Latin. So I think that helps us out a little bit. So the first antiphon was one that says, O Wisdom. The second antiphon was, O Lord God, O Adonai. The third antiphon was, O Stem of Jesse. And so again, all of these, this wisdom, the word of God, the root of Jesse, all of these are words and truths that are leading our thoughts, leading our hearts, leading our minds to focused on Jesus, the O key of David, O day spring, O king of Gentiles, O Emmanuel, and then finally, O virgin of virgins. And then when they would sing that one, in between all the singings of these songs, they would read psalms from scripture together and then also read from the gospel and talk about how God was with us. And so this morning, as we think about it, and over the next few weeks, as we sing some of these carols, one of the things that I want us to do is to, to sing these songs and to have not just the singing of them, but the depth of what they mean for us and that they truly have some deep theology and deep thoughts about who God is. And so we can thank Mr. Steele in 1851 that he found these and knew Latin and was able to translate them into the words that we have today. Emmanuel means God with us. And this is a truth that that is the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God came and took on flesh and walked 
among us. And so there's this sense of hope. There's this sense of expectation. Even this morning in the Advent candle, we lit the candle of hope that this is the beginning of the Advent season, that for thousands of years, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people had been waiting with hope and expectation that the Messiah would come, that the Lord God would come and would be among us. And so here is that that prophecy of hope that we're waiting on. And so as we light that first candle, we ask that question of what is hope? What does it mean to even have hope? And it's this idea of, of trusting in, of waiting for, and of looking for, and of desiring something or someone and expecting something beneficial in the future. And one of the things that's different from just a hope or a wish, but that's actually a prophecy, is that there's a, a notion of that a prophecy will come to fruition. That it's not just wishing something, but prophecy comes with an expectation of because of a fulfilled promises over and over before, that this prophetic promise will also be fulfilled. And so there's this undeniable, this undeniable tension between hope and trust, that these two things are tied together, that when with the propheticness of the hope, there's also a trust, because the one that's offered the prophecy is one who has continually been faithful before, has continually been truthful before, has continually fulfilled their promise. And so why would they not, if they fulfilled the promise time and time again, why would they not this one time on this prophecy fulfill it? So there's this desire, this ability, this tension between hope and trust and prophecy. It reminds me of that moment when Becky came home and she said, hey, I think we're going to be having a baby. And that first time you're like, oh, that's awesome. And so even the, the second time, the third time, and the sixth time, however many kids, right? You get excited. There's this, there's this expectancy. There's this hope. And so I remember whenever Becky came home and said, hey, the doctor said we're going to be having a child. And immediately I was like, oh, dude, we're going to have a boy. Now, she didn't say that, but that's what I heard, right? And so I'm like, we're going to be having a boy. And I'm like, oh, dude. I'm like, Luke, I am your father. And began this whole dialogue, this this whole thing, and she's like, get away from my belly button. And I'm like, no, everywhere we go, I'm like, look, this is Luke, and this is my son. You know, we would get, and there was this expectation and this anticipation for what was going to be coming because there was this promise of this is my heir, this is my son, we're going to be, this is my child, and, and here's what's going to be happening. That's the same as true, think about that expectancy. But the Jewish people had been waiting for a thousand years plus. They'd received this hope, and they'd seen God come forth for them and prove faithful to them time and time again. And now they're waiting with expectation. And there's been over 400 years of silence where God hasn't inter- interacted with his people in, in a way, in a national way. And so they're expecting, and they're hearing something's happening. There's a stirring within the people. There's been some false prophets. There's been some false messiahs going on. And now all of a sudden there's just this, this season of people are highly anticipating what's going to be happening. In prophecy of hope, he gives us in this season. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this, this is the prophecy that they've been listening to and they've been waiting for. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So for over 700 years, this prophecy had been, almost 740 years, that prophecy had been there, and they're waiting with expectation. Can you imagine as a father for 700 years saying, hey, I'm waiting for the child to be born, I'm waiting for the child to be born, and just the the anticipation and the excitement, and, and maybe even at times just the wait, the overbearing wait for this. And so the people have this prophecy of hope and this expectation of when is the Messiah going to be coming? 
And with that moment of, of quiet, that moment of waiting, and just, God, where are you in the midst of this? This prophecy of hope is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This hope is not only promised, but this hope is received. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 and following, it's almost a repeat of Isaiah chapter 7 that we just read. It says again, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Literally that he has taken on, God has become one of us. He has taken on our skin and is walking literally in our shoes. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. And at the end of that verse, it says, And Joseph named him Yeshua, Jesus, salvation. That's what that name means. Yeshua, Jesus means salvation has come. God is with us. As a matter of fact, that's the whole purpose of the book of John. Whenever John's writing, his entire writing is about showing that Jesus, God himself, is with us. And that the things that he did, the the miracles that he did all throughout his life are about showing that God himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the host of hosts, Yeshua, salvation comes, has been walking amongst us. and, And that we've become maybe even so familiar with the way that he did things that we didn't even recognize that he was the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John calls back to some prophetic truths from the past that are present. He says, in the beginning, the Word, which is a name for Jesus, already existed. The Word, Jesus, was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. Then jump down to verse 14. So the Word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He became flesh, God, with us. He was full of unfailing love and of faithfulness. And we've seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What do you need him? The one who has made his home with us. What do you need him to be with in you? Where are you at? Where do you need hope? Where do you need God with us? To Where do you need to know that he's in that stuff of life with you? That there's this inability to distinguish with hope and trust. If we place our hope in him, there's this thing called trust. And so maybe you're at a place where you just don't feel him. Maybe you're saying to yourself, hey, listen, I'm doing this Christianity thing. I'm doing this Jesus thing. I'm trying to figure out this faith thing. And there was a time that I felt I had a tinglies or whatever that is. And maybe now you just don't feel him. You're in a dry season. The truth is God is with us. Even in those moments where we don't feel his presence, The truth is is that he is still with us. He doesn't leave us. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He'll be the same tomorrow. He never leaves us or forsakes us if we're his. We may not feel him, but the truth is we don't have to feel because he is present, even if we don't feel. Maybe you're in a place where you're just in a difficult time. This is a difficult season. This is where we ended into Thanksgiving and Christmas. That sometimes we think it's just a time of celebration, but also for many, it's not necessarily a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance of some difficult times. And so maybe you're in the midst of that and thinking through some losses or different things. And so you're in a difficult place. And I want to remind you that the truth is God is with you. That even during those difficult seasons, God is there. Or maybe you're in a place where I call the empty chair season. It's a time of an empty chair because of death or divorce, or just distance with some of your loved ones. And I want to remind you that even in those difficult seasons of the empty chair, that God is with you. 
Or maybe it's those relational issues that you're trying to figure out your kids, you're trying to figure out your spouse, you're trying to figure out your in-laws, and you just had fun with them at Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up, and you're thinking about work, and you're thinking about your finances, you're thinking about all these different things and reminds you that God is with you. One of those moments that I love about being a dad is those moments where your child comes up to you and says, Hey, Dad, will you go with me to... And you just kind of fill in the blank, whatever it is. And it's that place where they're old enough, they're able to do it, but they request your presence with them to help them do whatever. They don't need you to, to do the transaction. They don't even need you to talk. They just need you. And literally, they, they might take you by the hand or take you by the arm and just say, hey, Dad, come with me. I want to be, it's in those moments that they're saying, listen, I can do this on my own, but I want to be in your presence. And that is, to me, what a, a great illustration of how God is with us. That, that there are those moments where we try to do life on our own. We think we've got it figured out. And God's just there. He's waiting to just for us to come alongside and say, Hey, Dad, would you go with me? I, I, I want to take you with me into this. And, and, and listen, we know that our kids, they reach a certain age. Surely they can buy popcorn and a Coke. And they've got their 2 or $3 that you give. They can handle it on their own. But they just want you to be in the presence. There's just something about adding comfort. To that moment for them. Something about being in the presence of the Father. And there's that comfort that comes from the hope and the trust that, you know what, if things all break down there at the little place where you're buying popcorn and Coke, that dad or mom can handle it. You don't really need them, but I'm going to invite them anyway. And for us, that God is with you even in those moments. Think about those moments in Scripture where God was with his children. God was with Joseph whenever he ended up in a prison. He was ended up in prison not of his own accord, but because someone else said something bad about him. that maligned his character. And so he's thrown into prison. And it says in Genesis 39, 21, that God was with him in prison. There's that moment that when Moses is crying out and says, listen, I can't lead these stubborn people anymore. And the scripture tells us God was with Moses even when his people were stubborn. Or the moment whenever Joshua was called and he was to take over Moses' spot and he's walking the people into the promised land and God says to him over and over and over again, Joshua, do not fear, I will be with you. That there's going to be moments for us that we're called to do difficult things and we need to hear those very same things from our Father that, listen, I will be with you. There's no need to fear. I will help you walk through the difficult places. Even the story of Esther that she's in a place that she never dreamed that she could possibly be. Here's this young woman, and she's in the king's house, and she's the queen, and all of a sudden she has all this responsibility and all this authority, and the God says to her, I am with you, even in the scariest of moments. Or I think of Daniel in the lion's den, that everyone thought there's no way that Daniel could, could get out of that. There's no way that Daniel could handle this. And as Daniel comes out, he says, in that den, it wasn't just me alone, but God was with me. These stories and our stories continually remind me that we may not feel God, we may not always understand what God is doing, but as a child of God, God is working in you and through you and for you, even behind the scenes. He's doing His work, orchestrating what He needs to work out for His good and for His glory. So not only is it a prophecy revealed and a prophecy received, but also we see this hope that's being fulfilled because God is working with you and for you. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says this, But now Jesus, this is after his life and his death, he was ascended into heaven. He's now a high priest for us. It says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been giving a ministry 
that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who now mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. In other words, he is the great high priest. There are no other priests. All other priests before have pointed toward him. And now he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And he is mediating. He is talking to God the Father on our behalf. And so that even when we don't know the right words to say, even when we don't feel right, even when all things are going to heck in a handbasket and we don't even know what to do or what to say or how to feel, he is mediating on our behalf and saying exactly the right things because he has walked in our shoes. He's had his family reject him. He's had his family walk away. He's had family conflict. He's had his friends mock him. He's had people make fun of him. He's walked in our shoes and he's experienced all of the same things that we've experienced. And he understands exactly what we're walking through. Everything that you deal with, he's, he understands it. He knows it. He knows what it is to be without money. He knows what it is to be at the last. He understands when people walk away from him and you feel alone and there's no one else there. He understands that's our God with us. And that God with us is now our high priest. And he mediates on our behalf. He walked in our skin. He walked in our shoes. And so those moments that you feel lonely, those moments that you feel desperate, those moments that you feel whatever it is that you're feeling, he says, I understand it. And I can communicate to the Father what you're experiencing. Because I was God with you. And now not only am I with you, but I'm for you. Look at Romans chapter 8. You see it in great way here. It says this, verse 34 and following. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ, no one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading before us. In other words, he's, he's literally, as our high priest, he's sitting there and he's talking to the Father. And he's, he's looking and thinking about you. He's thinking about Chris. Look, Here's what you're thinking. Here's what you're struggling with. And Jesus is saying, hey, Father, this is Christmas. This is what he's thinking. Here's the complete. Here's, and he gets it right every time. Our prayers may feel insufficient, but all the time he's speaking on our behalf. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Anybody have trouble or calamity this week? Yeah, right? You're not separated from his love. You're ever persecuted? Are you hungry? Are you destitute? Are you in danger or threatened with death? It doesn't separate us from his love. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This is one of my favorite passages. I am convinced that nothing, no thing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. How many of you are worried about tomorrow? Some of you are already worried about what you're going to buy on Black Monday and if you're going to have enough money and if you're going to be able to pay off that credit card in time. Let me help you. Don't put it on your credit card, then you don't have to worry about it. I'm serious. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Send your little friends a note, send your kids a note, put it in the box and say, I'm your gift. Take a picture, it'll last longer. And it's cheaper. And you won't have the same worries. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's only three things that haven't been created. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they've committed right here that they will never separate us 
from their love. So all other things have been created. So all other things, they may want to separate you, may pursue separating you. There's even their passion to separate you. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said it is impossible because they have been under, they are under our power and we will not allow them to submit and allow that to even happen. They submit to us. God is with us. And God is for us. Is God with you? Here's the one question that I want to resonate with you. Is God with you? If he's not, here's the reason. Because you haven't decided yet to have a personal, ongoing relationship with the God of us, Jesus Christ. So if that's something that you need to think about or contemplate this morning, please do that. Talk to me. Talk to one of the staff. That is an important question for you to, to deal with. Is God with me? But this morning, as I pray over you, I want to just... Ask some questions of you, and I want you just to reflect over these questions. So as Jonathan and Emily come up, and we're going to pray over you, they're going to play a little bit, and I just want you just to have this moment just to, to reflect over where is God, where do I need God, and where do I need to sense his hope, and where do I, do I truly trust? Do I truly trust the God that is with us can handle my stuff? Do I really trust that the God that is with us is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is mediating and is talking and is working on my behalf. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray over us this morning, for those that need to sense your presence, that they're in a place of a desert and it's dry and it's lonely, and they just need a drink of the deep well, the deep fountain. Father, may you be that oasis for them. May they see the oasis. May they be able to run to it and to drink deep from the fountain of life. May they sense your presence. Father, for those that are in a difficult season, that this is a not a season of joy and of happiness, but it's a season of blue and depression and of hurt and of pain and of regret. Father, I pray that you would speak truth to them in this as well. Father, that they would know that you are with them and for them. That, Father, that you want to bring hope even in the midst of darkness. That, Father, that you want to bring light in the midst of that darkness. That you want to bring salt and flavor to the place that may feel flavorless. Father, for those that are in a season of an empty chair, Lord, that they've had a death of a loved one, had divorce, there's maybe even distance that maybe children and grandchildren and loved ones are further away than they would like them to be. And so the loss, sense of loss of the closeness, we can't hug their neck as readily as we'd like, that we would be reminded that God is with you and with them us. Father, if we're struggling with relational issues, whether it's a a husband, a wife, our kids, our grandkids, our in-laws, whoever it may be, our co-workers, our peers, brothers and sisters, Father, that even in the midst of that, may you show us the truth of what is the source of our relational issues and that Maybe we've been offended and they don't even know that they have offended us. Or 
vice versa. Father, may we seek out reconciliation. This reason of the season is hope and reconciliation, that you came to bring hope through reconciling us to unto yourself. Father, may we model that this season, that God is with us and for us. And because we've been reconciled unto you, that we will seek out reconciliation with those around us and restoration. Father, maybe we've just screwed up. We've made bad mistakes, bad decisions, and it's weighing heavy on us. So we just kind of maybe we're just holding you at bay, saying, Dad, I don't I don't want you to get I don't want you to get close enough because if you get close enough, you'll be able to smell the stench of my mess up, the the way that I've been digging through trash. Father, I pray that you will break our arms so that we can't hold you at bay, that we would be Literally, that our arms would be broken so that you could draw into us and hold us and whisper into our ears, you are not trash, you are not junk, you are not a mess, you are my child. And I am with you. I want to hold your hand, my child, and let's go buy popcorn and Coke together. Even in the small things, my child, I want to be with you. Dear Jesus, O come, O come, Emmanuel, free us. Free us from those things. Bring us victory in the areas of life. Father, may you remind us that you are working with us and that you are for us and that you are our hope. Father, in that place where we've lost trust in you and that hope, Father, may be rekindled. May you show yourself to us to be faithful. May we wait with an expectancy. As an expectant father waiting to see and to know ten beautiful fingers and toes. Father, that's our spirit and our hope for this Christmas season. With that joy, with that expectation, that we tell everyone, my child is coming. God's child is coming with great expectation, with great hope, and with great joy. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God is with us. And because he's with us, I'm a changed man. I'm a changed woman. I'm a changed husband. I'm a changed wife. I'm a changed child. I'm a changed brother. I'm a changed sister because God is with us. I have hope in the midst of my darkness. O come, O come, Emmanuel.